Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. Let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. Change that yet. We're in chapter 7 of Romans. And like I said, it's the bridge. It's the bridge from understanding a truth to walking in that truth. We've already covered the first six verses, which we've learned something. We've learned that we are free from the law and we're free from sin. Pick it up. You know what? We'll start in verse 1 again. Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is freed from the law, that she may marry anyone she desires. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter." What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desires. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. The commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, carnal. Sold under sin. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Lord, our prayer again this morning as we continue to worship you is to have listening ears. Teach us, we cry. Teach us not only to hear, but also to obey. To put into practice, to apply, to live. By the power of your spirit, we ask that you do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So being free from the law and free from sin, then what was the law for? Well, let's find out. We're going to find out seven things that we'll bring out in this. Starting at verse 7, look, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. We've seen this word several times in Romans. It means, God forbid, perish the thought. What are you, nets? Of course not. Certainly not. Sin. What is sin? It's to miss the mark. What does that mean? Well, in archery, you have a target, and there's a bullseye you're supposed to hit. If you miss the bullseye, you have sinned. 
you've missed the mark. Now, taking that, the law shows God's requirements. Why? Because the law, if you will, is the target. Sin, then, is man's failure to keep God's law. So, number one, the law is for to reveal sin. Law reveals sin. It's like I used to drive a lot. A lot of times roads were not marked. One time I was driving a road in the middle of nowhere, and it was in the middle of nowhere, honest. And I was going 60. I thought I was safe. But lo and behold, I passed the police officer. I guess he was bored because he decided to stop me. And he goes, I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's 55 through here. And I said, duly noted. I did not know that. I said, uh, is there anything else I need? Are you going to write? No, I'm not going to write you a ticket. I just wanted to warn you. He had a smile on the whole time. I think he was just lonely. He said, have a nice day. Now, guess what? I know something. That road, there's a law. The law is it's 55, not 60. What did the law reveal? It revealed what the requirement was. What did it also reveal? I was in sin. Now, take that to today's age. What do you see that they're trying to do? What are they removing from schools? The Ten Commandments. Why? Because it reveals something. It reveals sin. Let's go on. Notice what he attacks too. He says, On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. What does covet mean? It means craving, a longing for, a desire for, a lust for, after things forbidden. So what is he saying? He's saying the law then reveals something else to me. Now what's interesting here is, does this sound familiar? Think of this. Paul could have said in his younger days, when he was learning the law, he says, well, I worship God. I don't make or worship any idols. I don't take his name in vain. I, I, I honor the Sabbath. I honor my parents. I haven't murdered anybody. I'm not committed adultery. Ew. I haven't stolen anything. I don't bear false witness or lie about other people. Ah, but covetousness now is of the heart. See, the law reveals the sin of the heart. Now that attacks all of us. Remember what Jesus said? If a man looks at a woman with lust in his eyes, he has committed adultery. If he has hate in his heart, he has committed murder. So now we get even deeper here. It's a heart condition. It's something that reveals something inside me. Now again, what does man do? Well, mankind's a soften it, don't they? They don't want to talk about adultery. That's an affair, silly. Wrath? It's venting. Lust? It's just showing your passion. Sexual immorality? It's just an alternative lifestyle. Gluttony? Eating disorder. Pride? It's self-love, baby. Laziness? Just taking it easy. Alcoholism? It's a disease, dude. Relax. That's all it is. It's not my fault. It's a disease. See how it deflects? 
Soften it. Make it sound cheerful. Kind of like homosexuality. I'm gay. Do you know gay used to be happy? Not too many homosexuals are happy. For that matter, not too many people are happy. And the law exposes that. It reveals what's going on in the hearts. So it reveals sin, but it also exposes sin of the heart. In Ephesians 4.19, it says, Who being past feeling, having given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness and greediness. Or, like it says in 1 Timothy, what happens is that speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. See, if I can sear my conscience, it frees me. Frees me to do what I think is right in my own eyes, which we'll talk about in a second too. Like verse 8. But sin, taking opportunity, that word means base of op- a base of operation by the commandments produced in me all manner of evil desires. Understand something. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We talked about this through Adam and Eve. It's called basically the original sin, but some people call it no, it's not quite the original sin. But because of through Adam, through his DNA, we all are sinners. Or as Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So, what does it do? The law activates our sinful desires. Look, all manner of evil desires, for apart from the law, sin was dead. See, what sin does is it it brings out something that it is. See, sin, if you will, in its just simplest form, is not just missing the mark because it goes beyond that. See, it's rebellion. It's rebellion against what is declared right. But it's also, if you will, unbelief in God, in His character, that He is good. That God's holding out. Again, we'll talk about that in a second too. So again, what we're bringing out here is just a simple fact that Knowing what the law says that I can't do, that motivates me to do those things. Sin, rebellion, unbelief in God's character, it also brings out idolatry. The law inflames man's corrupt, rebellious nature against God. In Romans 1.28, we read this. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Or, like it says in Proverbs, for some stupid, silly reason, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Something about on that edge. And if you will, if you think about it, when you were a kid some of you still are, and you became a teenager, all of a sudden, those things that were forbidden, you're wondering, were your parents really right? Is this really bad? What's so bad about it? I think my mom and dad are wrong about this. Whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's other things that are not right to do. 
It's very simple to start playing that game. Why? Because it's so tantalizing. And if your friend is taking a beer can and crushing his head against the beer against his forehead, you're going, cool. I don't know why that's cool. But then you want to partake. You want to be a part of it. They're having fun. Let's have fun. Oh, you're just a square. You're too wound up, man. You got to let loose. You're too goody good two shoes. Live on the wild side. Rock and roll. With me? It activates that. Motivates. Pushes it. Makes it appealing. But see, apart from the law, sin was dead, inactive, operative, inoperative. What does that mean? Well, again, that being dead, sin is missing the mark. So if you have no law, you have no target. You have no target. You have no boundaries. And then it is true what it says in Proverbs. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Whatever I deem which is right for me, that is right. That is the law. I shall do what I want to do. Back off, old man. Back off, law. I fight authority. It's the rebellious nature in me. I wear a leather jacket and I drive a hot car. And I do speed. Now look at verse 9. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. The fool feels so alive in his folly, he's ignorant of his predicament. Number four. The law reveals the state of the sinner. He is a dead man walking. For the wages of sin, death. Death. Death awaits us all. Now, <clears throat> excuse me for a second. There's a man living in New York. <clears throat> and he had the afternoon off, so he took an early matinee and Bought himself a big jumbo popcorn, big soda, walks into the dark theater, notices there's nobody there but one guy. And he's thinking, okay, well, this guy's sitting kind of in the back. I'm going to sit a little forward. I mean, besides, guy's kind of creepy. He's wearing all black. And then you turn around and you look at him and you notice it's, it's death. Death himself is sitting there and death has got a big old popcorn on his lap too but when he sees you he's startled and he throws up his popcorn meanwhile you too are freaked out so you drop your popcorn and you run run to a cab get in the cab drive to the airport fly to LA as far as you can from death get into the hotel go through the door shut the door do all the locks Go in, turn on the light, and guess what you discover? Mr. Death is sitting in the corner, and he still has his popcorn. You, exasperated, sit down next to him. He said, I can't run from you, can I? He goes, no. It's popcorn. So you take some of his popcorn, you start eating it. He goes, I got a question for you though, you asked Death. Why were you startled when you, you saw me in New York? 
because I knew I had an appointment with you in L.A. in this hotel. I was like, what are you doing here? And you keep eating the popcorn. You go, I got another question for you. Sure. How do I die? You choke on a kernel of popcorn. You can't cheat death. Death is inevitable for all of us. And the law reveals something. You're dying. Death. Look at verse 10. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. Keeping of the law was to bring life. Many believe this is Leviticus 18.5. It says, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. But what does the law reveal? That no one can keep the law. You can't keep it. In Galatians 3, 21 and 22, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which could have been given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin. All. Nobody can keep it. No, not one of us. Look at verse 11. Isn't this exciting? You guys should be thanking God right now. For sin, taken occasion by commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Sin, again, remember the unbelief in God's character and word, questioning God, believing He was withholding from us our needs, our desires, taking little bites of that forbidden fruit. It deceives us. Why? Because... It was the death of us. It was separation. It was revealing the separation that we have with God. Law reveals the separation from God. Therefore, the law is holy, the commandment holy, just, and good. Nothing is wrong with the law. It's pure, it's perfect, it's holy, it's righteous, it's good. Now, blaming the law, saying it's the law's fault. Who can keep the law? It's the law. Bend the rules. Change it. No, you can't do that. Why? Because God is perfect. And so the law is perfect. And to be with God, you have to be perfect. The law reveals that we are separated from God. We are not perfect. So again, blaming the law is like blaming a level, a true level, and, and going up to your building, to your door, to your wall, and finding that it's leaning. And then you blame the wall, not the level. Or it's taking a straight edge and it's, it's seeing if it's straight and it's crooked. And you're blaming the straight edge and you start beating it so that it concurs to the form of the crooked line. That's stupid. It's silly. But that's what we do. We say, oh, doesn't God understand that our nature isn't good? So shouldn't God help us? Give us a curve? Look at verse 13. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. God forbid. Absolutely not. What are you, nuts? But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. The problem, not the law. The law reveals that man and his sinful nature 
is the problem. We have met the enemy and it's us. Again, quoting Paul, it says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But there is one, excuse me, that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident by the just shall live by faith. Dropping down to verse 21, the law then, against the promise of God, certainly not, for if there had been a law given, which could not, which have given life, which could have given life, excuse me, I'm too fast for my, my mouth, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confided all under sin that the promises by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You can't do it with the law. So verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, Sold under sin, the law, spiritual, comes down from God. We are cardinal, fleshly, sold under sin. And really, if you will, the simplest message I think I've given. But still, listen. The law reveals we need a Savior. We need a Savior. Quoting Galatians again, chapter 3, verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Dropping down to verse 24, it says, Therefore the law was not our tutor. Listen, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The law can't be kept. The problem's not with the law. The law's a mirror. The law's a revealer. The law shows something. It shows the true condition of your heart and my heart. The law also shows the desire and requirements of God. For if not met, then he who is perfect cannot allow that which is imperfect be in his presence. It's called death and separation from God. So God, in his, his love for us, commanding his love towards us, in that wire yet separated from God, became a man, came to the cross, took the penalty of the law, if you will, upon himself, our sin, that convicts us, puts it upon himself, dies for us, and saying, you are now free. Now it goes back to the first six verses. Free from what? Free from keeping the law. You can't do it. I can't do it. But also free from sin. Oh, the dilemma. What? I'm free from the law. I'm free from sin. So why do I keep committing sin against the law? Why do I keep doing these things? Well, Hold on to that thought because we will really tackle it next week. But for our information right now is to understand something. That you and I now have a newness of life. It's like you've been given... Oh, this is dumb, but I'll give it to you anyway. It's like you've been giving a superhero suit. And it's like it's got all the powers you will ever need. But the problem is is that you have to listen 
to the one giving it to you to instruct you every step of the way. If you miss one step, then what you're doing is you're flying into the sun, getting a little hot and coming back going, well, that was a long trip for nothing. There's nothing you can do to learn how to live in the suit. And I told you this was dumb. But still the capacity to do so is with the one who's given you the suit. Now, bring it to us. It's the newness of life inside us. Why this is a bridge is because, again, we're going to find that so many of us still try to live in the law. We still struggle to live in the newness of life that God has given to us. What's the problem with the churches? Because it doesn't adhere to the truth of God and His Word and what God has said He has done. It's unbelief. See, the struggle is, is that we then have to go to the law. We go to our mind. We think it's intellectual. We have to think these things through. We have to have all the answers. Because, again, God's not moving in our time frame. God's not working it out for us to understand in the way we want it to. But, just like it says in Isaiah, come, let us reason together. God says, come, I want to talk. Well, we got to talk. See, it really comes back down to dependency upon God with even your thoughts, your feelings, your desires, and your motives. Who you are now in Christ, that you are now born again. What does that mean? How does that work? Well, one thing that doesn't work is you trying to do it in your flesh. Hardest thing in the world is to wait on God. But what we don't realize, Scripture says, God waits on us. For what? For us to be exasperated. To finally say, I'm done. To sit on the bed, instead of cross from death, to cross from Christ and say, I'm done. How does this work? How do I live this out? But see, our problem is, it's not just unbelief, but it's rebellion. Because again, the impatience builds up, see. And I think just like the five-year-old that thinks he can go out there and he can build the bicycle that he just got for Christmas. And instead of putting the, the parts in the right place, all of a sudden the tires are actually above the seat. It's upside down. How do you do that? He doesn't know. He didn't understand. He had the instructions, but he didn't wait for his father to explain the instructions with him, but also do it with him. You with me? It's the most amazing thing in the world that the God who created the heavens and the earth has laid down a law not to make you feel like you are just bound for hell, but to convict you of the realization you're not right. But see, again, there's something else that we go to. They're called idols. See, sin, if you will, is idol worship. Now, you might be saying, we don't worship idols. We don't have a little bald Buddha in our house. We don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean, idols? Oh, really? If we went into your... If I'm guilty too. If we went into your house, would we find certain teens that you... 
basically are a fan of? A fanatic? Oh, we can holler, we can scream for the team. Or just that I've been learning. I've never heard this before. But my wife, who's very much smarter than I am, educated me. See, there are things called Swifties. You don't know what that is? Those are people that basically idolize Swift Taylor. <coughs> I mean, to a sickness. Now, I've convicted some of you. Get rid of your Swifty stuff. No, I'm kidding. But we do have idols. Where's your passion? Where does it go to? What is it that you, you wake up in the morning and what is it you're thinking about? What is it that motivates you? What is it that gives you passion? What is it that causes you to have rebellion? And see, it's, it's not just a conviction to be laid down that you're dead, you're going to hell. No, it's an understanding that there's a God that says there's a better way. You can do it your way, or you can do it my way. The answer is not in man. The answer is not in the little things that you think will bring you happiness. The answer is, I created you, I know what's best for you, and I'm working these things out for my purpose and my glory. And then he says it to all of us. Do you believe this? Now with that, it's a lot to think about. Next week we're going to see Paul struggle with this himself. And hopefully that each of us can learn from Paul and go on to chapter 8 and learn how truly what it means to walk in the Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we got a lot here. (laughs) Oh, sin. Not really a subject we like to talk about, Lord. But we're very, very much aware of it. Prayer, Lord, is that you work these truths that we just heard this morning into our hearts. We understand what the law was for and its intention. And how it brought us all to Christ, our Savior. Free from the law. Free from sin. Lord, we confess we stand here as little children not knowing exactly how that applies to our lives on a day-to-day basis. Our prayer is this week, Lord, that You would just do a work in each of our hearts to prepare us so that we can go on in our walk with You. Father, if there is anything that we put before You as an idol, we pray, Lord, that You would convict us of this. That you reveal it to us. That we would do what your spirit requires of us. Lord, if, if there is anything that we still don't trust you in, we ask first of all for your forgiveness. But we also ask, Lord, for a changing of our hearts. That we'd rest in the fact of your purpose for us is always good. And that the work that you're doing is going to be perfect and complete. And your love for us is infinite. Lord, let the truth of your word resonate in our hearts. That you are the God of truth. 
and that you stand on your word absolutely. And Father, if there's still that part of us that rebels, keeps thinking that we know what's better for ourselves. We ask, Lord, that you would forgive us. That sin or that weight that keeps keeping us back. It's actually the thing that's withholding us from a walk with you that's glorious. Lord, give us understanding, give us wisdom, but also give us, Lord, the ability, the desire to lay it down and run. To run into your arms. Bless this church, Lord, I pray. Bless each one that calls this their home. Bless each person, Lord, in their walk with you. I pray that you would ignite it. Lord, restore the passion they once had for you. Restore, Lord, the desire to know you in a personal, intimate way. Not just with the intellect, not just with the emotions, but just with your spirit working these truths in our hearts that we'd sit down and say, Father, my Father, Abba, Daddy, a relationship that's true, that's powerful, that's real. As only in this can we really learn as we sit at your feet. So again, my prayer is that we would be Mary's this week. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.